always powering up on me, man. So much more spiritual than me, I guess. Is, uh, yeah. Uh, hey, we're going to land the plane today. We started this letter of 1 Corinthians uh, back in February, and we're going to land the plane. If you preach 1 Corinthians to a, 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 you know, a large audience, both in person and online, you're gonna, it's going to be a bumpy flight at times. I've got a friend who pilots planes, and he says the best kind of landing is the landing that you walk away from. And I hope as a church that we're walking away from this even better. Uh, we've, um, you know, bumped around in this. It's had some turbulence, but it's been important to look at these passages, though difficult uh, to look at the history, the culture, the context, consider the languages and all. And uh, I just, I love it. First Corinthians 16 is where we're going to finish up today. But uh, chapter one, uh, he talks, he starts talking, you know, he's calling us to be different when he says that God has chosen uh, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the strong or the weak things of the world to confound uh, the weak. And in chapter two, he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. In chapter three, he says, I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who causes the growth. In chapter four, he says, we're just servants of Christ. If you get too full of yourself or start strutting your stuff, you're just a servant of Christ. We're managers. And he says in chapter four that managers should be found faithful. In chapter five, the church really messes this up. Back then in our day, listen to me, I know it sparked some controversy, but in chapter five, he says, we have no business judging the outsiders. God is the judge. What we need to do is discern error and speak the truth in love wisely and confrontation uh, it, it, to, with each other in the church house. We need to handle our business before we're judging other people on their business. In chapter 6, speaking of business, he says, flee sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Uh, the Christian view of the body and sexuality is the supreme highest view uh, uh, in all the land. In chapter 7, he says, affirming the value of singles and also um, holding up the sanctity of marriage. He says, whether you're single or whether you're married, whatever situation you're in, three times in that seventh chapter, he says, uh, accept your assignment from the Lord. It may not be the assignment that you want. A lot of single people want to get married. I know some married people that want to be single. I'm just not going to tell you their business in church because that's private counseling. But we, you know, one is not better than the other. We all need to affirm, accept your assignment in the Lord. It may not be your assignment. Now your assignment may not be your assignment in a year, but accept that. In chapter eight, he says, knowledge builds up, but love puffs up. Some of the hardest people to be around are the people who know a lot and they end up hurting people and they miss the love, don't miss the love. In chapter nine, I believe Daniel preached this one, but uh, he took us back to uh, the pre-Olympic games in the Greco-Roman world of Corinth at the time. These games that Paul writes to them and says, run in such a way that you run to win the prize. They compete for a prize, for a crown that's perishable, but this one is imperishable. In chapter 10, he says many great things among them. He says that uh, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And then chapter 11, another great statement on the equality between women and men. He says uh, that a woman is not independent of a man. A man is not independent of a woman. Uh, a woman was created from man, but a man passes through a woman. But all things are from the Lord. In chapter 12, he says that we are one body. We are the body of Christ. I bet you know that. We just need to, you to connect and to begin acting like it. And we invite you into that journey as we start this fall. We're one body, um, but with many members. And we have different gifts with the same spirit. We have different ministries with the same Lord. We have different activities with the same God. 
In chapter 13, we preached about love, and we're going to circle back to that uh, in the weeks uh, ahead. In chapter 14, I don't know what's in chapter 14. Dr. Jimmy Stewart preached it. Chapter 15, I don't know what's in chapter 15. Daniel Wagner preached it. And if you ever accuse me of being a really good leader, I'll remind you that there was that weekend that I got out of town and asked our student pastor to preach about money. Uh, and giving, and that was last weekend, but we survived, and Chris did an exemplary uh, job, and so we're going to today uh, land the plane in 1 Corinthians 16. Susan and I were out with friends a, a couple of weeks back, went to that new place, that Italian place in the Bellhaven Town Center, y'all got to go, it's so good, and the couple we were with had already been there a few times, so they were the pros, and they kind of led us, instead of doing like a traditional uh, meal in a restaurant, or the traditional way of everybody picking an entree and ordering it and you know jockeying for position and guarding it and eating their own meal they would just bring out we would decide what we what looked good sounded good and then bring it out just one by one and I feel like that's what Paul is doing in the 16th chapter he's just bringing some stuff out one by one there's not one big theme like uh, worship in chapter 14 or love in chapter 13 or the gifts of the spirit in chapter uh, 12 or the resurrection in chapter 15 there's just a bunch of things a bunch of plates that he's bringing out and that's what I want us to do today is to bring out uh, some of these plates uh, that God uh, that Paul has for us in in closing this chapter out in uh, chapter 16 of verses 1 through 4 Chris touched on this so I won't go deep into it but he brings out the plate of generosity he says, I want to serve you up generosity. I love the language, and Chris did really good preaching at Chris Mixon, but he says this. He says that the, when you gather, you take a collection. And some of you know, well, that's church. And, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church where we weren't going to miss the offering. We were taking up the offering. But you gather, and it's not just, you know, something that's rooted in colonial America or something from the early church fathers. It's, it's from the New Testament. It's from Christ Jesus himself and the apostles and the early church leaders the pastors and teachers and leaders who equip the church when we gather let's make sure we reserve a time where we worship God knowing that he's a provider and knowing that money can be the greatest source of our security and therefore the greatest source of our anxiety and let's as an act of worship give up so he says let's collect let's take a collection and he, I love what he says there he says um, that each one of you gives Paul did not say hey get a few rich people to bankroll the whole thing what he says is that each one gives that's why we say here almost every time I talk about money I say that everybody's gift is needed and everybody needs to give and it's this active worship that we grow and learn to trust God some of you have not forget the preacher uh, some of you who just have not invited God into your financial world and I want to encourage you to do that and, and Chris preached this but Paul says we give on the first day of the week that's not a literal thing that you have to you have to do that but I think it's a priority thing the language there is similar to what's taught when Je after Jesus came first uh, day giving is resurrection giving it's Jesus Christ giving that this money is not mine and just as Jesus taught you throw something in the ground like seed and you see what grows when you give God is promising to bring something back to you and I'm perilously close to preaching some prosperity gospel I'm not going to do that but I do believe that is true when you let go and you give priority and giving is according to the scripture it's it's you giving God your first and your best some of you tried to give. You've invited me even into your struggle. And if you wait to give when you've, you know, at the end of the month, you're not going to have anything to give. And so the invitation as an act of worship is for us to say, 
I will give God my first and my best. It's all his anyway. And we teach this, that the tithe is not literal or mechanical or legalistic. I think it's training wheels to lead us to the tour de France of generosity where we say, this is, we take this fundamental concrete practice given from the people of old and we apply it in our lives as well. I think 10% is the minimum. Praise God, we've got some of you in our church that uh, go beyond that, that you've taken up the challenge, not just to increase the standard of your living, but to increase the standard of your giving. And our world is so much stronger because of it. We call you to give because of things like growing up, up on the third floor. We've got to make room for our future, for families. Uh, but we also, and you're giving here, just like in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, we take up a collection and there's a part of it that's going to Jerusalem because the church there was struggling. And so to follow Jesus means that in our money, we look for trails of people who need it. We want to further the gospel and come around people. And I love what Paul said. Uh, I can't recall if Chris really honed in on this. It was incidental, somewhat parenthetical. But Paul says that when they take the collection over to Jerusalem, he said they, here's what Paul didn't say. He didn't say, hey, bring me your money and I'll, and I'll handle it. He bring it to me and I'll take care of it. See, the church must be open and honest, ruthlessly open and honest about how we handle money. Just so you know, I can't sign any checks around here. Just so you know, I have no uh, control or exercise any uh, direct authority over funds. We have people who do that. We have a team of people, and we need to be as open and honest and transparent uh, as we can be in that regard. We get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So the first plate he brings out is the plate of generosity. The second plate he brings out is the plate of um, knowing and discerning God's will. They gave me a new clicker. Do y'all remember when I used to use a clicker and it wouldn't really work well? And uh, it wasn't my fault. Some of you will see me on the street and blame me for not knowing how to use a remote control. But um, it was the control room's fault or the clicker's fault or something. But look what they did. They got me a new clicker. And can you see this? It couldn't be any... It's like for senior citizens. It's for... It's like there's two buttons, one is green with an arrow pointing forward and one is red and it points backwards. And they just, Lauren and the team, really believe I can handle this. And it was flawless the first service. So here we go. Is it this one, Lauren? Okay, yeah. First Corinthians chapter 16, let's do it fast. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia for I will be traveling through Macedonia and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend time, some time with you, if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry is open for me, yet many oppose me. If you go to seminary, you'll study, uh, there's even a class on this, the first, second, and third missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Uh, some classes are built around this. It's incredibly fascinating of Paul and his team and the journeys they went on and the churches that he planted. I love the human language of this. He's longing to be with them. I was just thinking and talking to Susan a couple days ago. This would be like us uh, with some of you. Uh, you know, we planted Fonder Church 12 years ago, but it would be like us just being with you for 18 months and then we move on and then we would want to, you know, just those first 18 months, we would want to come back. We would want to be with you again. Uh, we, we, we appreciate that time and the work that God did in that startup phase and we're fond of the people that served with us. We would want to go back and visit, and I hear Paul's heart there. But here's what I want to call your attention to. I think what he's bringing out of the kitchen on our table today is this, how tentative he holds his plans. You can be very certain of your God in heaven and be very loose and open with the plans. 
Notice the language. I won't you know, go back to it because uh, I'm doing good with the clicker so far. But it, here's what he says. He says, I hope, perhaps, maybe, wherever, if the Lord allows. Would you look at me today and would you listen to what I'm saying? You can be certain of your God and still be open with the plans. You can be flexible and you can be adaptable to what might come later because you just don't really know. And we see this in the Apostle Paul. So it brings up the question, how does God lead us? Well, according to the New Testament, he leads us in one of four ways. He leads us through his word. If it's spelled out in his word, it's clear. We miss this. I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but if it's in his word, look, look at me. If it's in his word, do that. If he stirs something up in you, and by the way, be careful about the, the Bible is clear, people. The Bible is clear because there's a certain group of people theologically, they don't even want to talk about certain, they, they, they don't even dialogue. And I think it's important for us to dialogue. Uh, in parenting our kids, we don't want to just throw Bible verses at them. Uh, we want to talk to them. Uh, those days are pretty much done. But uh, we, we, we wanted to talk to them about the reasons why the scripture makes sense. What might be behind God's heart when he says it. But don't lose sight of what I'm saying today. God will lead you through his word. If it's in the word, do that. If it's in the word, be obedient to that. And that's not always easy. Should I sleep with my boyfriend? I'm going to say no. It's in his word. It's clear in his word. And I want to say to you, follow what his word says. Also, he leads us through the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at that in a different way. But he says, you know, God equips his church, not just with orators and speakers, with prophets, evangelists, teachers, and prophets and such, but he's, he equips the church with people who have wisdom, who have a variety of spiritual gifts. If you're in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And some have the gift of wisdom or insight. It took me a long time to get there, but I've gotten to a place, and Susan is very grateful. I don't make any kind of decisions in life, medium, large, or gigantic, without talking to several people. Not just some stranger on the street, but a few people that I talk to and say, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm sensing God is saying. I don't have it on the screen, but it's in the Bible. Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for a lack of counsel, but within, with many, in the host of many advisors, you will prosper. We like to think of that uh, sometimes like, I, I go to advice, I go to my therapist, and that's good, go to your therapist. Sometimes we think of a mentor, hey, uh, church staff, I want a mentor, and we do offer some mentoring programs, but sometimes we think of mentoring as one person who's older and wiser who has all the answers. Now, the Word has all the answers, so humble yourself in the Word, but God will use people to speak into you, and He will give people wisdom in your life to speak. I've hit crossroads. I've not known what to do, and I've had people speak into me. I want to challenge you uh, to grow in that and to be intentional. So many people don't do this. The third way beyond uh, the Word and the church is his spirit. He speaks through his spirit. Listen to me. You got to push away from your screen. You got to move away from the digital devices. You got to learn to sit in stillness. I had a few days away. It's hard to match my time with the Lord and listening in a different environment. And in that, what's happened to me recently can be a regular part of all of our lives in Christ. When you listen to the Spirit, you know what He'll do? He'll grow a burden in you. He'll give you a vision. He'll enlarge your heart, but you've got to listen. Remember what Jesus said, John chapter 3, 
the work of the Spirit is like, the fill in the blank, the work of the Spirit is like the dot, dot, dot. It's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So the work of the Spirit is like the wind, but the Spirit works. I don't have time to preach it today, but in the Scripture it says, don't quench the Spirit, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit and don't grieve the Spirit, but let the Spirit guide you, the Spirit as you pray. Lord, what do you have for me? And watch him enlarge your heart and give you a vision and grow your burdens in this regard. And he also leads us through our circumstances, and that's what we see in chapter 16. This tentative language, this holding his plans loosely, all this is connotations of, Lord, these circumstances have to work out. Because you can humble yourself under the word and you can listen to God's people, give you wisdom and insight. Uh, You can listen for the work of the Spirit. And Paul does that, of course. But there are circumstances that come into play. And I love, we we put it up and you see it there, but let me isolate this verse because I'm so good with this remote control. Because a wide door, notice Paul says a wide door, this thing, man, it's like, come on. A wide door for effective ministry has opened for me yet many oppose me. The image I got in my mind, because we're about to start football season, can I get an amen? And, it, and I just picture, you know, that when the hole opens up and it's, man, the run, you're, you're running back. You're not on defense, it's your running back. And that your running back's got room, and you're like, man. But then what does he say? Somebody's got pads on. Somebody's ready to tackle me. Somebody's ready to blindside me, hit me at an angle. He says, yet many oppose me. Here's what I want to say to you, because it's amazing how we can, foster ignorance in this area but we think that if we experience difficulty and opposition that the door's closed and that's not the right path but can i tell you today oftentimes when you experience difficulty and opposition that is the right path that is the open door and so let's look at what paul what else paul brings out from the menu because it's really good and it'll play into what we're talking about here so he says this be alert Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. Let me ask you, are you alert today? Anybody asleep? Look around. Anybody sleeping in church? I once read that if you took everybody who fell asleep in church, if you took everybody who fell asleep in church, and you lined them up side by side, I I heard that they'd be far more comfortable in that position. (laughs) Stay alert. Be on the lookout. In the scripture, there's a metaphor called being a watchman. They didn't, they didn't have the reconnaissance and the, the capabilities and te- technologies that we have today to guard cities and such. So they would have literal men who would watch a city on a wall. And the connotations here is just that in the Greek language. Hey, be on the lookout. I, I, I know there's a few versions of this. Maybe you've heard this, but there's three types of people in the world. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who say, hey, what happened? And I wonder what type of person are you naturally? And if you're a, hey, what happened person, you're probably not alert a lot of times. You're not sober-minded. You're not keenly aware of what might be happening around you. And you know the image. Some of you may have already guessed where I'm going with this, but Peter would say this in 1 Peter 5, 8. He would say this about being alert. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. This is the explanation. I am not a demon behind every bush person. I know some of us blame Satan and the demons for our own laziness, sloth, and sin. But you have three enemies. You have the world around you. 
1 John 2, 15 to 7, do not love the world of things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the boasting, all, the, all these things, these things are passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The world is your enemy. You are your enemy. Your own flesh is your enemy. Own that. I need to own that. Uh, but you have also an enemy, an unseen enemy. When I was in Africa last fall, we did a safari. We suffered like missionaries, many cold showers and a lot of hard stuff. And then we said, hey, let's go do a safari at a four-star place. And we had a guide who took us around and we were in this Jeep with an African man who was informing us of the animals that we had uh, marveled at. And here's a giraffe who, um, that's, that's me, that's my iPhone, that's the angle that I'm at in our Jeep. You would think the draft's looking at me, right? Worried about us, the noise, the mufflers, maybe the, what we would do. You know what that draft's doing? I'm telling you, I could have got out of the Jeep and ran and done the gritty around him, and he wouldn't have batted an eye. And here's why, 1 Peter 5, 8. And I think, you know, thankfully, the local guide was telling us all about this, but he said, this draft is separated from his other people. And he's looking and he spotted. Now, we needed binoculars. We were straining with our binoculars to see a pride of lions. We finally were like, lions. Yeah, when you do an African safari, some of you know, it's like, find the lions, find the lions. Y'all know the big five? Oh, you, the lion is, at the, the, is the apex predator. So find the lions. Now, you know, when you're in a Jeep and you, the guy's got guns and stuff, we're not quite as worried as the rest of the people, the rest of the animals in the, in the woods there. But this giraffe had spotted those lions that we needed binoculars to see. And he didn't look away. He didn't flinch. And I can't exaggerate one inkling to say to you, I mean, I don't think he blinked. He just kept looking at those. And the guy told us that if he moves, if he moves, he's going to show weakness. And they could circle around him. And they'll, that, that's, a, like, that's almost saying, come eat me, come get me. So he's watching and he's watching and he's watching. He's not moving. He doesn't look away. He doesn't move. He's just looking to see. And he'll wait it out as long as he needs to wait, wait it out. Why? Life and death, baby. And you and I, man, we play. We play in this world that's a spiritual battle. We don't put on the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of truth. We don't put on these things. We just play and we're not aware of what's happening. And can I just say the enemy is out to get you. He's out to devour you, and he's winning with some of us. He's waiting for you on your phone late at night. He's waiting for you at your, uh, at your computer screen. He's waiting for you in the flirtatious glance at the gym. He's waiting for you, the people that you're starting to follow, their sermons and their podcasts and their books and their blogs, who giving you a little bit of Jesus, but they're leading you away from the confidence of God's word. It's subtle, but that's what's happening in our day, and the enemy is winning because you're not alert to his scheme. And so Paul is writing and he's saying, man, wise up, wake up, be alert, and be sober-minded. The next thing he says, you saw it, he says, stand firm. Anybody still have their Bible open? Stand firm what? Stand firm, stand firm what? Stand firm in the faith. The last chapter, I joked about not knowing what's in chapter 15. I do, if I didn't, you should fire me because it's a chapter on the resurrection. And at the end of this, it says, Paul says, but we have the victory that's in Christ Jesus. Don't you want some victory? We're just about to start football season, and all of, most of you have really high hopes. You're just brimming with optimism. You've already called 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two or whatever, and we'll see you in November, December. 
But we're, you're brimming, brimming with optimism. But Paul's writing in the 15th chapter and he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't promise you a string of victories for your football team or for your life personally this fall. That's not the business I'm in. But my job is to point you to the ultimate victory that you have in Jesus Christ. And he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable. That's another way of saying stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. In Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about the spiritual battle and wearing the armor of God, he says stand firm three different times in Ephesians chapter 6. But Jesus knew what sometimes we don't know in our day. At that time, many, this is Jesus, will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. What's at stake in standing firm? Look at me, everything. Absolutely everything. Stand firm in the faith. Your faith could be deconstructed. Your faith you could fall away from. Your faith you could wander from. Your faith could not be meaningful to you. But faith is the core of what Jesus praised. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus praises only people's faith. If you ever see Jesus going, hey, way to go. It's always he's pointing to the faith that they displayed. Not knowing the future, because so much of life is unpredictable, unknowable, uncontrollable. But in that moment to say, I believe you. And that's what Jesus praised. When I was a little boy, I would go to my grandmom's house. And this was an age before cell phones or tablets, iPads, anything like that. So there was nothing to do. For entertainment, I would uh, annoy my older sister and my cousins. And there was a stretch where I would go to her closet, living room closet, just off the kitchen. I would go up high and I'd pull out these puzzles and uh, seek to put together some of my grandmom's puzzles. The catch about these puzzles is they weren't in their box. They weren't in the original box. They were in Ziploc bags. But nonetheless, I would attempt, because there was nothing else to do besides annoy my older sister and cousin. So I would, I would get out these puzzles uh, many times over, and I would start a puzzle, and I'd get the edges together, because that's kind of easy. And then I'd put some pieces in around those edges. Then I would get frustrated, because didn't I tell you there wasn't a box they were a Ziploc bag, so I, there wasn't a big picture to show me. I couldn't see because the big picture shows you what to do. The big picture assures you that the pieces that you're putting together fit together. So I would, be, I would become so frustrated that I would quit. I would not stand firm in the faith. I would just quit. And I want to say to you that faith is putting the pieces of the puzzle together, trusting that his assurances will ultimately come true even when it doesn't seem to interlock, even when the pieces of your life right now don't seem to be fitting together, that there is a master behind the scenes. And if you stand firm and have faith in him, he is working his good even when it doesn't seem like it. So let me point you again to the big picture found in his word and on display in the person of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the faith. The next thing that he mentions that he brings out of the kitchen. Oh, by the way, two questions about faith that I want to ask you today because I want you to think about your own life. Am I following God in a way that requires faith? Do I do anything at all in my life that requires courage and confidence? A natural segue to the third thing 
be courageous. I went to a conference several years ago. The keynote speaker walked out. He got on the stage and he said something along these lines that if you're not, if you don't have courage, your life will be marked by a lot of good ideas and deep regrets. If you don't have courage, your life will be marked by a lot of great ideas and deep regrets. Oh, I wish I should have. God prompted me back then. I could have I done this in worship. I could have done this in church. I could have done this with the gifts he'd given me. I could have invested here. I could have done this in relationships. I could have been this type of partner. I could have been this type of parent. I could have been this type of person in our world that desperately longs for people to have courage and to be brave. And by the way, when it comes to courage, you know what? You know, you know what you, people who have courage go first. They go first. We call it leadership and write a bunch of books about it. But someone who has courage steps out in faith and says, God, has got this because there's an open door and a bunch of others are going to be closed. There's going to be difficulty and opposition, but I want to step out and I want to be courageous. And I'll say to you, I don't want to be the type of person who studies about courageous people and tells you about other courageous people. I want someone to say, I appreciate that you had the courage too. Don't you want that as well? There's this line in Genesis. I isolated a phrase in Genesis 31, 31. It's about Jacob. Y'all remember Jacob before he wrestled with God? And then began, and after that, he walked with a limp. But this was that scene, a lot of, a lot of dysfunction. Y'all know there's so much dysfunction in the Bible. And this was that scene with oh, Jacob and Rachel and Leah and all this stuff. And this passage says, Jacob said this, I rushed away because I was afraid. He in cowardice ran you when you are not brave you run we run away from our responsibilities we run away from dreams that god has given us we run away when things get hard and that's that's what happens remember paul would later tell timothy after first corinthians 16 he would go on to say hey timothy god has not given us a, a spirit of fear you'll be afraid there's plenty to be afraid of but you don't have to be dominated by a spirit of fear because God has given us a, a power and love and a sound mind. You don't have to run. And some of you are doing that very thing and you're trying to find God in your current circumstance, but you've run from him and you've run from the calling that he has. And I want to tell you to turn back, have the courage to turn back, have the bravery to say, I was wrong. Start your confession to God and then go to someone. If you don't have that someone, find someone. I bet you we could help you find a someone. That ought to be our responsibility as a church and go back to him. and Let him grow your courage. In closing, as Lauren and the team make their way up, I want to deliver this final dish out to you, this final plate. Be strong. Be strong. I did a quick um, glance, not for depth, but for breadth, just the word strength in the Bible, no Greek or Hebrew or anything like this. Just a quick little look and three passages. Um, so many passages came up. I'll, I'll present three real quick as they get their instruments ready your strength will equal your days deuteronomy 33 25 your strength will equal your days god give me the strength required for the work at hand and let it match let it match my days grover cleveland was the only president who served two terms not consecutive he was the 22nd president and the 24th president he was the president who oversaw um, the you know the the building the putting in place of the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. 
he was the only president who got married in the White House. Incidentally, he married a 21-year-old, and she became like royalty. Um, big age discrepancy, but a, a big point of fascination and marvel for our country at the time. Grover Cleveland fight, fought many major financial, economic, just big responsibilities in our nation. We learned later, looking back at him, historians pointed out something that was hidden. Grover Cleveland, in the middle of economic crisis, he um, had cancer. And he had doctors on a private yacht, on a friend's private yacht, and they did surgery on him that subsequently kept him alive. But we didn't learn about it until later. Grover Cleveland, this was his passage. As historians have talked about him, they describe a man of integrity and industry and hard work and steadfastness and strength. And he said this was the passage in the White House. This is the passage above the bed so that when he got up in the morning, when he went to bed at night, he would say, God, I need the strength to lead this land. Can I just say, live a life. You're probably not going to be president, nor am I. But live the type of life that will require supernatural strength. And then tap into it and see what God does. I bet everybody, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard this verse. God is a refuge and strength. And you may say in 2023 in America in an air-conditioned sanctuary with stained glass, Ah, God is my refuge and strength. But when this writer wrote it, the Assyrians were coming. War was unavoidable and defeat appeared to be inevitable. The prophet Isaiah, read chapter 1 of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is prophesizing. Hezekiah is the king. And there's a lot that looked just insurmountable. And he's writing and saying, no matter how dark it is. Because some of you, I know you got your defenses up. Like, preacher, don't preach this. God is our refuge. You don't know how, how weak I am. You don't know how hard it is. This was written. Give God a chance. Because this was written in the midst of incredible darkness. And one more. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. When uh, we as Americans, we argue over many, many things, as you know. They did back then, too. But we've got new things to argue about, like solar power, renewable energy sources. When we take a ton of coal out of the ground or we um, go under and get a barrel of oil, we're going under a vast but finite world of resources. So every ton of oil, every ton of coal, every barrel of oil that we pull out, there's less in the world. A lot, very vast, but finite. But when you get power from a solar panel, an equal amount of power and wattage from a solar panel or a wind turbine, something along those lines, waterfall, the sun and the wind and the rivers. They're renewable. Politics, political battles are won and lost. Wars are at stake. Because to convert from one to the other is slow and painful. People lose jobs. Y'all know all this, don't you? There's a huge debate about that. But you think of the sun. You think of the wind. And you think of the rivers. And you think about how inexhaustible they are. Can I just say to you, our God is bigger. And when you're hurting and you feel like, oh, I'm just so limited. My life is marked by scarcity and fatigue and weakness. And God is strength. It's inexhaustible. And he wants to renew your strength today. So 
would you stand with me and let me pray over you. Father, thanks for this morning. Minister to us as we close out our service. In Christ we pray. Amen. Church, the altar is open. We're here for you at the last hour. Not that I ever compare the 930 to the 11. But we had several people come forward for prayer. We would love that today if God so prompts you. The altar is open. Several in the first hour kneeled down as a way to seek the Lord as a testimony to his to their need today and we invite you let's just reserve these few moments to give back to him as we all sing and as some of us come to be prayed for be obedient in these moments and we'll get you out in just a few